This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When most people think of the South, they probably think of oppression and quote, backwards ideologies and thinkings. However, the reality of the South is an epicenter of community organizing, resilience, and restoration, and has been that way for years. Community organizing is the demand that our communities deserve more than surviving. We deserve to thrive. Today, we are excited to bring in two amazing organizers working in Alabama and Georgia to discuss the importance of community organizing and how we adapt and thrive despite the overlapping crisis we face. Climate justice, y'all. It's real, it's here, and it's about time we listen to folks like Salita Soto and Lindsay Harper. All right, let's get started with the show. This is Climate Justice, y'all, a podcast dedicated to lifting up and centering the climate and environmental justice movement in the South. Despite the South being the most biodiverse, diverse, and one of the largest economic engines in the world, we are underfunded and often barred from the decision-making table. Because of that, we decided to pull up a chair and amplify the stories of communities in the South that are hit the hardest by the climate crisis. We're using good old-fashioned storytelling to shine a spotlight on these Southern leaders from all walks of life, putting in their blood, sweat, and tears to transform the region. The usage of y'all in the title is on purpose. We are honoring our Southern heritage of creativity, resilience, and ingenuity. Climate justice, y'all. It's real, it's here, and it's about time. Y'all hear what we have to say. Good morning, um, or, you know, whenever people listen to this, good afternoon. Um, We have two amazing organizers on today's call, and I honestly can't wait for y'all to hear from them. Um, So if y'all could introduce yourselves and the organizations you work for, we can start with uh, Salida and then go to Lindsay. Sure. Hi, my name is Salida Soto. Uh, My friends call me Selly, and I go by she, her pronouns. And I organize with Margins Women Helping Black Women. This is a long list, y'all. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, let's go. Margins Women Helping Black Women, Yellowhammer Fund, Sweet Alabama, which is actually an acronym that stands for Sustainable Water, Energy, and Economic Transition, as well as Faith and Works. And... um, what am I forgetting? And I do hunger policy work and hunger justice work with several other organizers here that is kind of, you know, kind of our own, not really an entity here anymore, but we're still doing the work on the ground. And I'm not sure if I missed anything. No, you can, I mean, you're busy and you're a mom on top of that. And I'm a mom. I do a lot of community organizing right here in this house. Yes, thank you. Awesome. So I don't really know how I can follow that, Salita. <laughs> oh, <you're wrong>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is Lindsay Harper. She, her pronouns. Um, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm national coordinator of Arm in Arm, where we're working to end the climate crisis, centering racial and economic justice, and also with the power for Southern 
people, not Southern Company campaign, who say that Southern Company is actively denying the climate crisis and dismantling our democracy and reproductive rights. Uh, and, you know, working across Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia, we're looking to use our power across our states to really change the narrative that Southern Company has put out about itself. Um, because as I'm sure all of you on this call know, and many folks in the audience know that Southern Company is draining the pockets of its customers, has been draining the pockets of its customers over multiple generations and has plans to continue to do so. And so when we're talking about climate, we're talking about racial and economic justice, that's actually what that looks like. Big companies in bed with local state, federal government draining people's pockets. And so here we are. So that's my story. Mm. Ooh, ooh. I love the both of these ladies. Oh my gosh, not only are they black, intelligent women. They also are community organizers. And before we get into the goods and of what everything is, I think we should just do a little bit of background about what is community organizing and why it's so important. Um, I'm gonna hand it off to Lindsay first and see where, see where you take us. Okay, sure. So the way that I define community organizing is really just, it's about people and it's about relationships and understanding how the world, the society around us impacts us and how we work together to define and agree on what are the things that we want to change in our community? How do we how do we want to make that change? What is it that we want? Working together to make those decisions, to come up with those demands, you know, um, identifying those in power or the decision makers or those who have the power to make the change, but really just really building, everything is together. You know, decisions, ideas, the implementation of the activities is all done together. And I've learned it's a, it's a reciprocating relationship. It's definitely a give and take. And from my standpoint as national coordinator, really just kind of holding the space that kind of allows and, and helps to support and facilitate the collaboration. So um, for me, I just think it's really important to listen and to know when to most importantly, when to step back and allow other folks who are really, really have the lived experience um, to help inform how to move forward, to step forward and to speak their minds and to speak um, speak on their lives. So that was like legit the Webster. That's, like, that was the best definition of community organizing. Um, I have little to add to that, but I will say that for me, community organizing has always been much like science um, in, in a way that we have to be extremely flexible and be able to kind of adjust to our environment and adjust to narratives, adjust to lived experiences. Um, we don't just collect stories, right? Like for um, to have just some amalgam of stories and and in a gossipy way, right? Like we we really analyze these stories and and by regions, by sectors, by political influence influences and and then in much like a community engineering form turn it back around to what the people need um to what the people are calling and crying for and 
I say that we have to have a great degree of flexibility and rigidity is just not permitted here because there have been many times where I said, oh, well, I want, you know, a free store and a 24 hour access pantry here. And they're like, well, that's not what we want. <laughs> that's not at all what we want. And it might be very much what they need at the moment, but what, but what I think they need at the moment but that doesn't matter, right? Because it's communally influenced and it's based on what the people think that they need. And so many times I have shifted gears and coalitions and thought, man, this community really needs a 24-hour food pantry. And they're like, no, we, we really need a basketball court. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let's go for it. Um, and so I, I look at it much as, a, as, as like science, right? I, proving and disproving hypotheses, um, my, my own and, and other organizers and, and also, you know, collaborating with the community. And what Lindsay said is, is much like a, a give and, and take, this reciprocal, true relationship, transformative relationship that lacks, you know, is void of transactions, right? They have to be wholesome relationships. Um, and you have to sustain those, right? Statewide, many times, um, it's tough work, but it's it's so it feeds me. It really does. It, it feeds it feeds our family. Um, we cry sometimes, but but it's it's wholesome. It's wholesome work. Yeah, and to that, that that was the phenomenal definition. <laughs> no, I mean, and you did add a lot to it because, like. What you talked about was like Lindsay came in with the Webster definition and which is great. We need that. And then Selena came in with the basically the emotional definition of what community organizing is. And it's it's heart work. It's soul work. It's listening to communities, even if you don't agree with them personally, but listening to them and uplifting their voices and centering them when others um tend to not really seem like they care about what communities need or want. And so I think that's perfect. Um, my question is, is community organizing successful? And if so, what elements make it succeed? And then a follow-up, what challenges do y'all face? Because I mean, y'all have to be super flexible. You have to adapt. This is exhausting work, but what makes it successful and what challenges do you face? I'll start with uh, Salida and then go to Lindsay. Cool. Um, community organizing is, is the answer. Community is the answer. Community is our revolution. Um, at the end of at the end of all of this, what we're going to have is um, communally built and structured. How do I say? Um, I guess developments, um, for lack of a better word. Community organizing is it because the people are it. You know, um, in the same breath, we are faced, uh, we are in a police state. We are faced with extremely discrimin um, discriminative, um, manipulative, oppressive policies, clearly oppressive policies um, that wealthy folks and major corporations like Southern Company, um, they dominate, they own it. This is a system that began with murder, rape, and mayhem um, at the inception of this country and has been polished and refined in that same way for centuries. And so that's what we're up against, right? We're up against the 1901 constitution, but you know, 
BIPOC folks in 1901 were not even really fully considered humans. And so, and these are the policies that govern us. These are the laws that still govern us here in Alabama. So that's what we're up against. You know, we're up against the masses really um, are up against these, these, you know, these policies, these laws, this way of life every single day that reminds us, hey, you can't do this. But then we turn around and to, to your point of successes, we turn around and prove that that basketball court, that urban farm, the 24 hour food pantry, the free store, um, that it is functional, right? That it is benefiting, that it does enrich our community, that it does say, hey, we love you. Um, to everyone around us, uh, to our street neighbors. We include people that have never been included before, but because we're sewing narratives, because we're um, working with, with leading with love and intention, folks are like, yeah, this is, this is what works for us. I believe that's going to spread, right? I, my faith is that's gonna sp spread like a mushroom farm. Um, and and everyone's going to eat and everyone's going to have housing. Um, that's just me and my utopian mind. Right. We get beat up, but um, but we get to see the fruits. And I do think I do think it's it's going to work at the end of the day. It's, it's going to be what revolutionizes our way of life here in the South. So, Salita, I, I was not aware that mushroom farms grew quickly is that a thing <laughs> once they yes once they start sprouting they do spread rather quickly we have one here in birmingham come check us out at fountain heights farms yeah for sure i had no idea and uh see i love that a food justice person is over here educating folks about um yeah shit mushrooms who knew no i dig it um yeah, so for me, I definitely, definitely agree with you, Salita. And I, I think for me, to your initial question, like, does community organizing work? Is it successful? I mean, it's a, it's a resounding yes. We have history on our side. Um, in Arm in Arm, and the work that we do, we, you know, talk about Dr. Chinoweth, I believe her name is Erica Chinoweth, and she's done the science, she's done the math, and done the, the history and the research, and it takes 3.5% of any population anywhere, and you can topple dictators, and it's up to 3.5%, so it doesn't even have to be 3.5%, and that's small populations, big populations, so it's the, clearly yes. Um, what makes organizing successful? A lot of different things. You know, people... It's unfortunate, but it's almost as though communities are always underestimated and not taken seriously. And it's, you know, there's so much lived experience and there's so much just, uh, you know, people know so much about themselves and their communities. And it's just as if our society just doesn't honor people in that way, there's a lot of a, like a top down way of thinking. And, and what's different about community organizing is it's about bottom up and like influencing the world around you versus being kind of like put upon and or oppressed. And so I think the things that make it successful, I mean that I have encountered folks, there's a, a level of fearlessness um, there's a level of entitlement, I think, that communities have that is completely appropriate. I think that it is the entitlement of others to the space, 
the energy, the land of others, that's what's damaging us. Well, we're entitled to your land. So we'll just come over here and build some dirty crap where you live, you know, or we're entitled to your body and your energy. So we're just going to employ you or maybe not and give you like low wages. Right. And so kind of flipping that on its head and saying, no, we are the people, we have the, all the things and you all need to listen to us. And so I do believe that with community organizing and with myself also being very hopeful is that when people don't buy what they've been sold, not everybody does, and I understand that, but in this country, you know, we just have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of different communities that are in maybe different places, different languages, different races, but we're really dealing with the same thing. And so for us, we really feel that climate is that foundational kind of centering issue that links all of us together. It's not just about the weather. We're talking about people. We talked about that earlier. We're talking about, you know, how are people living their lives day to day? Do they have enough to take care of themselves? I would say that, you know, the black community has survived you know, POC communities, low wealth communities have survived, but we really have an opportunity when we're doing community organizing to thrive. And I think that's where we're headed. And in my experience, I really feel like the organizing that has gone across Mississippi, Alabama and Georgia has filled me too. It's filled me because these are Southerners who've come together, who are dealing with the same thing and understand the power that we have together. And we're building that power. Matter of fact, we had a rally a couple of weeks ago, about a month or so ago. We had people from around the country come to support Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia in our fight against Southern Company. People you know, may or may not know, but there's a divide between the environment, environmental folks and labor folks. And you know, there's an idea that clean job, you know, people who are already energy jobs may lose their jobs when the clean jobs come down. I mean, there's just, there are a lot of issues, but the fact that we have people from around the country come to support us, I mean, that to me is community organizing. When you have people from other places willing to stand in solidarity with you. Some of the challenges that I've faced in the past, I'll just tell a really quick story. I, I, I always tell the story just because it, it, again, around entitlement and who's got the information, who's got the knowledge and who values who. I'll never forget, I was in Atlanta at this thing, talking about the sustainable development goals. And this professor from Georgia Tech, bless her heart, we were talking about community organizing. And this woman stood up and said, I don't really think that we need to do community organizing or it really doesn't work. You know, we really just need to do the, you know, to start, you know, do the mayors, like do all you know, the universities, but the community, it just really doesn't work. And I'm thinking to myself, honey, you're not a community organizer. You don't get to determine whether or not people have value. Like if that's where you're coming from, you miss it before we got started. So the challenge is people valuing and understanding and wanting to hear and to take in and to change based on what they hear from the community. So that's a big challenge. Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't even consider for me, when I thought of the challenges, I immediately was like, oh yeah, definitely the policies, definitely the like political obstacles, the landscape, big money. I didn't even think about how culture really plays into this. <laughs> My dog agrees. <laughs> You're here. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, can I add something real quick? Because I, I want to be real. I want to be very real. Um, for a community organizer, another challenge is the... I guess the dynamic, how dynamic our communities are. Um, and even when the culture is, you know, when the culture is, is harmonious, right? 
but people want different things, you know, and, and, and they're valid. All the things that they need are valid, right? So where do we start? Sometimes, uh, you know, it's difficult to not displease <laughs> some partners or coalition members or community folks by the rate at which, the frequency, I, I guess, at which that we move and, and how fast we can materialize their hopes, their dreams, and what they want to see for their community. Um, so sometimes there are internal challenges. Sometimes it's it's about just human behavior and, and really understanding, you know, the full scope, the holistic scope of humanity and being able to sit with that. Um, listening in a way that says, you know, I'm really loving you and I'm also loving your neighbor. And so how, so sometimes it's like mending um, disagreements, you know, or just kind of mending um relationships in, in within the community work. Um, I want to speak to that too, because I, I think it's like a dual front. Uh, of course, it's not as hateful, right? It's not hateful, like like the police state and our, and our oppressive policies, but, and I, and I love to work in, in a collaborative and loving setting, but there are disagreements and there are times that folks are like, no, me first. <laughs> And we have to instill uh, or remind folks that uh, there's there's time, you know, for all of our visions and and that we we will do this work until the, as long as the work needs to be done. And I think that that comes from a lot of, you know, organizations in the past that may have had really good intentions, but the impact wasn't so much because they, for whatever reason, maybe ran out of money, didn't really have a plan to continue to exist in that community. So folks just came in and then left. And that leaves a, a huge wound um, within the community and and trust needs to re, be reestablished re many times because they're like, hey, you, you're just gonna leave us as like the last guy. Um, and we have to just kind of remind them and, and really just let them know, like, hey, this is our long term plan. Check it out. Um, and it's not and, and this is not a finite plan. This is a plan that you get to um, that you get to redact and rewrite. And, you know, so let's work together. And I, I just wanted to take a moment to name that, too. Thanks, Alita. Um, I think that you touched on a strong point and the fact that even through community organizing or managing in general, you have to navigate through different people, different cultures, different backgrounds, different things that people go through in their livelihoods, um, in their day-to-day -day life. So that jumps into my next question. Um, let's just pretend one of our listeners, I don't know who, uh, they want to organize their own community around an issue, but they don't know where to begin. What's your advice on where to begin? Even a story of when, when you began and how did you begin? Uh, Lindsay, you can go first. Okay. Thanks. Sure. So, I mean, for me, if you're someone who's interested in organizing around an issue um, you know, or is interested in starting an organization around an issue, you know, you can address issues in multiple different ways. I would definitely say just the first thing is just to like, just get to know your neighbors, get to know the people who are impacted by the issues that you feel are important. Um, you know, build those relationships. You know, I used to tell folks all the time, you got to go to the dinner, you got to go to the kids baseball game, like you got to break bread with people, you really got to get to know folks, where they're coming from, how they're impacted, and, and really find out where those common threads are, because those are the threads that are going to move you all forward. 
Um, a lot of times you can either research organizations that may be also working on your issue and you can collaborate, you can partner with them because capacity is always an issue, especially when you're doing grassroots organizing. There's never enough money, never enough people, right? And so the idea is we come together. That's the whole point. Nobody's doing anything by themselves out here. If they are, they got too much money. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so those who have too much money are often very much disconnected from what's really actually happening. You know, so that aside, you know, be willing and ready to work with people to put your pride aside. It's not about whose name is on it. It's about getting the thing done. You know, so that would really be like my main thing. Just get to know the people, get to know the issues and kind of figure out where folks are aligned and what what folks are willing to do. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Uh, Salida, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, so again, it's every absolutely every point that Lindsay made. Um, and then I would begin, I would, you know, tell my neighbor or my, the listener to... First, really introspect, right? Sit, sit with yourself for a moment and assess, take inventory of one, your listening abilities, your listening skills, because you will be sewing narratives, right? You will be um, gathering these, these stories and these experiences to build a system that actually works for the people um and in order to do that you really have to introspect and look within yourself and and figure out what what soft skills do i have and do and do i lack and do i need to work on what opportunities do i have to be that person you know that that is going to listen and adjust um it's an evolutionary process and first you've got to be ready to do just that right to be flexible and to be really really intentional and then i would say hey listen community organizing work is radical work so it's not it might not look like anything that has ever existed before but it's what our people need so you know be be receptive to accepting this brand new uh, you know unprecedented reality and 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 be able to envision it and be able to manifest it and you know believe in it for manifestation um and then like lindsay said you know tap into what your political panorama is uh what are the forces identify the forces your your i guess the obstacles that you're faced up against and and then you know yield your opportunities um let's see i think i think that's the crux of what you know outside of everything absolutely everything that lindsay said um that's the crux of, crux of what i you know could add is is look within yourself you know you've got to be ready and and you've got to be able to kind of bounce back there have been many times that uh, you know i go out I've, i'm really optimistic so i have this like yay let's go you know let's do this thing and the people the people are like we are not ready <laughs> we are not ready we don't we, we don't envision what you envision you know this is not what could work for us and i have to really dissect that you know is it because you know they're so they feel so defeated you know, or is it because this is really not what, this is really not gonna work for their community. And I have to figure that out first because, you know, sometimes it's fear and sometimes it's anxiety. Sometimes it's a, a um, 
I don't want to say like a, I don't want to put this on mental illness or even character limitations, you know, none of those points, but somewhere in the middle, you know, some, sometimes it's fueled by folks just kind of feeling like, you know, we've been beat up so many times and this is just not something we can take on. And so, so to have that, the energy to say, you know, Hey, listen, we're in this together. And when you tire, someone else is going to pick up the torch, you know, you're not alone. And I know that this is like a completely revolutionary idea and you've never seen anything like this before. And there might not be any models, but this is how we're going to make it work for us because this is what your community is screaming that it needs. And so, you know, relying on some of your internal strengths, you know, to, to say, to say, okay, we can, we can alter this and we can make, you know, edits to this, but we're going to stick to the plan fearlessly because, you know, they're, they're not going to beat us up again. We're not going to let that them do that. And we're going to build our base so that you do have, someone to pass the torch to when you do feel weary and when you do tire. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's what I would tell them. So and I'd give my phone number. Yeah. <laughs> <So> like, <laughs> call me when you, when you need um, to tap into to an energy source. Cause I'm going to call Lindsay first and then, and then I'll have what it takes. So what Can I'm hearing. I, yeah, Lindsay. Oh, no, you go ahead, Abigail. Yeah, I mean, what I was going to say is what I'm hearing is that in order to organize your community, one, you need to know yourself, your strengths and, you know, take care of your traumas. Don't bring your traumas into this work. Right. Don't let it um, don't take it out on other people, but also get to know and invest in your community. Eat with your community members. Talk to them. See how they're doing. I mean, you have in order to envision a good community, you need to be a good community member yourself is what I was hearing. And I really appreciate that. But Lindsay, you go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Salida, I think you're absolutely right. And Abigail, I agree as well. I just wanted to, Salida, you said some things that made me um, think about this idea around imagination. It's also really important to be able to like imagine, envision something beyond that's immediately in front of you. It's hard. Folks have been beat down. The social contract between my voice matters and my vote Mm, can't really argue. I mean, you know, you can look past a couple few elections. You know, the popular vote is one thing, but the uh, electoral college is another. And so there are real, true, historical, tangible historical challenges that people have faced and will face going forward. But if you can imagine beyond what's before you, you know, they say, well, you shoot for the, what do you shoot for the moon? You'll hit the stars or whatever, whatever the thing is. And so that's really important the other thing is be very sure to be clear you understand kind of the racial dynamics of where you are one a piece one important piece of of, of uh, information i got was you know down south they they'll eat with you but they don't want you to have nothing but up north they want you to have stuff they just don't want to eat with you you know she's got to really understand where you are and like those kinds of racial dynamics we do live in in america and so like, that's a thing. And then my last little piece is I was a really key piece of community organizing. Community is not going to move when you want. Community is not going to move when you think it makes the most sense. Community is going to move when community is ready. So you can't be, you know, all you can support, you can collaborate, you can build relationships. You can do the planning, but always know that people are not going to move when you think they should move. It may not be, quote unquote, optimum, but communities will move. I mean, you see the civil rights movement. It is possible. That's it. That's all. Yeah. 
and th- and there's only one uh, one edit that I'd like to make to what you said, Abigail, because it was it was mostly true. With the exception for me, my experience has been that we we have not been successful. We really have never even tried um, to work without considering traumas or to eliminate or to leave the traumas at home. Our work is very much trauma informed. Um, and, and it's the only way that we can embrace full the full spectrum of humanity and still keep doing this work. So when folks enter a space and, you know, we do check-ins and we make sure you do like temperature checks and make sure how everybody's feeling. And many times folks are like, I'm down, you know, I'm down for whatever reason, you know, I'm not feeling this way. And we, we, we use that, you know, we, we, it fuels our work. Um, We show them how to let that rage and discomfort and um, sadness and how, how that can be channeled in order to expand or, or, you know, proliferate the work. So um, the trauma the trauma is oftentimes in the space, particularly in BIPOC spaces. Um, but we, we have to, you know, catapult from that from that point. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does absolutely, and I completely agree. We, I think the problem, I think what we need is trauma informed work. What I meant to say is that we, a lot of us have trauma that we're bringing into the work, and we have to des- we have to differentiate between like dealing with our own triggers. Like if someone else triggers us in this movement, like in community organizing, recognizing, I don't know if I'm making sense. Um, You you both, you both are making sense. Sorry. Sorry, Abby. (laughs) No, I was just, God. I I just can't miss this point. Y'all are both making really big points. I mean, I don't understand how you could be in this movement without acknowledging personal traumas and in the past that has affected you. If like if you can't work in this space and you know acknowledge that, then how can you transition to something that is justice? How can you trans transition into a green movement and and you know acknowledge? as a society as a whole free personally just together as a community how can you how can you not acknowledge that absolutely thank you marisha and yeah i think this kind of leads to our last question anyway um since this work is the difficult but necessary work um what gives y'all hope to keep going despite all the difficulties and obstacles oh can i go first <laughs> Go off, go off. Jump in there, Salida. I've got an anecdote. Um, I've got a story to share. You know, for we don't, like I said at the inception of this call, is that we do not have a lot of wins here in Alabama. So wins cannot be the fuel. <laughs> and I learned that early on here, um, I'm a bit of a transplant from New Jersey. And so when I moved to the South, I was like, oh, I've been organizing for, you know, 10 years. Like we got this, you know, and then I was like, whoa, this is not this is not the same arena. Right. Um, but I, what gives me hope 
is to really to witness communal transformation. Like I have witnessed it despite, you know, what the political arena is and what they're doing to us over at the state house. Like I have witnessed transformational impacts in our city. And so I, I'll share this one example um, through the magnificent work of Margins Women Helping Black Women, which is a family justice organization. And their fearless leader is like, hey, we're going to need to put up uh, 24-hour food pantries in our city. So, of course, listen, I love to eat and I love to watch people eat. So it's like my favorite thing. So I was like, absolutely, let's go. And so we, we, we worked on it. We set them up. And at first, you know, we used to fill up. I'm really like particular, like real OCD about how our pantries look, particularly here, the ones on the west side. Um, I always want them to look like Whole Foods, like everything has to be labels out, you know, fully packed and organized in a way that the shopping shopping experience, um, I call it shopping experience, is pleasant for our neighbors. Right. Um, Just because it's a free food pantry doesn't mean that they need to feel like this stuff is just thrown at them. So every detail counts. Thank you, Abigail. Every detail counts. So, okay, we set this pantry up. It's fully stocked. And one of them is in my backyard, like right behind my house. And so I'm able to kind of see and witness neighbors. So at first, when it was stocked, we would get um, maybe two or three of our neighbors that would come with boxes and fill up boxes and there's a sign that says uh free food pantry take take all you need and leave what you can because the ed of that organization believes that you know folks should be full um they they if it if a family needs everything in the pantry take everything in the pantry we want to make sure that a family has everything they need versus like five families having three cans <laughs> and so I, you know i was really trying to stick stick with that right while not thinking okay well y'all these folks are greedy like what's why are they taking all, all the things but she said no let's just sit back and witness just sit back and watch um because we believe that with consistency that folks will will feel like, you know, this is always going to be here for us and they won't have a need to hoard. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, it was so beautiful. Within a week or two, the conversations changed from, hey, Billy, man, take take all that stuff. Take the take the cans. Yeah, take that too. Take that too, right? To, hey, we're going to take this and we're going to leave some for Mr. Cook and we're going to leave some for Ms. Foster and we're going to leave some for David um, because we know he likes the beans. And when I witnessed that, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps like right now because when I witnessed that, I was like, wow, you know, like it really works. Like our people are not innate hoarders and innately greedy. Our people share, our people love their neighbors. You know, it's just the system has taught us, the this, this system of individualism has taught us to programmed us better yet said to believe that we're an island you know and we don't have to think about other folks and we do have to accumulate all the things all the things things we need and things we don't um because they they may not be there tomorrow and so community organizing teaches our community and we to to unlearn that that greed right and avarice and 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 yearn to to just take right and then to relearn what love looks like, like bell hooks love, like what love really looks like. And, and to say, you know, this is this is for all of us. Um, and so that gives me hope. 
I love the like bell hooks love because that paints a very specific love. I love it. Not, yes. I just love it. Thank you. Yes. You know, Salida, that's beautiful. And I, I, I personally, I was over here feeling all kinds of stuff in my stomach too. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I, I, you're absolutely right. We've been programmed around this idea of scarcity. There's so much more than enough for all of us. And so that is that, that deprogramming that, that, you know, just being very clear that we're not alone. We don't have to, you know, hoard all the things and that there's enough. And that we can learn that on our on our own and with ourselves and in our community. That's a beautiful story. Um, again, I don't know how I can follow that because mine is so much less sophisticated. You know, for me, what gives me hope, you know, you work hard, you play hard. I just like to party. And so, you know, for me, what gives me hope is when I get together with all our organizing folks and we like go out and have drinks or we do karaoke, like... You have to have fun. This work is so hard, long hours, long nights, all days of the week, right? So let's let's go do a drink. Let's go dancing. Let's go get on a party bus. Um, and so it's, it's the relationships for me. It's always, always about the people and always will be. Listen, if I'm not invited to that next karaoke, I know something. Hey, <laughs> you ain't say nothing but a word. <laughs> Listen, I to have a good time. She know how to turn up. Keep the party going. Hey, you already know. <laughs> I love it. People feel people. You know, politics don't feel people. System, systemic, you know, processes don't feel people. People feel people. Um, so I love that, Lindsay. Thank you. <laughs> Agree. Um, and we just want to thank you all for joining us today and being on our podcast and sharing your wisdom. So thank you so much. <laughs> This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.